You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. require a reputation by the people you hang out in this case peter hung out with jesus peter carried the reputation of jesus with him he carried that reputation he was known as someone who was with jesus did they say that about you what reputation do you carry when you leave this church do you carry the reputation of a christian christian means little christ when people see you do they see that christian in you or do they see something different do you have a reputation for being a christian In today's message from Pastor Dave, he teaches you that the disciple Peter was known as someone who was with Jesus. You acquire a reputation with those you hang out with. As a Christian, it's important that others see the witness of Jesus through you. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 3 as he begins his message, The Name of Jesus. We're going to continue on our study in Acts 3. Today we're going to be in verses 11 to 16. Acts 3, verses 11 through 16. The message today is entitled, In the Name of Jesus. In the Name of Jesus. Now as a lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter solved it, He responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by your, our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Let me start off today by telling you a little story. I just read this recently. During World War II, a church in France was bombed out by the German Luftwaffe, which was Germany's air force. Now, many churches were bombed out during the war, But in this particular instance, when the community began to clear the rubble, they found that their statue of Jesus that stood outside the church for a long, long time at the bottom of this rubble, of this heap. It was a beautiful statue, and the inscription said, come to me, all who are weary. The statue was surprisingly intact, and it was remarkably preserved except for two things. The hands were missing. The hands were gone. They had broken off during the explosions. When the sculptor, whose work this statue was, heard of this, he immediately went to the church and said, I will replace the hands. The pastor of the church thought about it, and he declined. He said, no, put the statue back in its rightful place. They put it back in its rightful place outside the church, but they changed the inscription. The inscription read, he has no hands on earth but ours, for we are his body. Cool. 
Indeed, the Apostle Paul tells the church of Corinth in his first letter, he says in verse 27 of chapter 12, now we are the body of Christ and members in particular. We're all that body. So if Jesus is going to reach out and touch anyone, from the terminally ill person to the sickly person to the harmless person to the person who is suffering from addiction to the young person to the older person, whomever, if Jesus is going to reach out to them, if he's going to reach out to those that are hurting in the world and touch them, it's going to be through our hands. He's going to do it through us. He wants to share his love to those that are dying. He wants to share his love to those that are in this darkened world. Last week, we studied how Peter and John became the hands of Jesus. They became his hands. Jesus used their hands to heal the man, the lame man at the gate beautiful. This healing would lead to even more people coming into the faith. It would lead to more people seeing this miracle and hearing this testimony would come into the faith of Jesus Christ. We'll get to that next week. The total number would go from 3,000 to 5,000 because of the miracle that was worked in this man's life and his testimony. Recounting what happened, it was an ordinary day. Peter and John were going through their daily activities. And one of the things they did daily was pray in the temple. You can see that at Acts 2.46. While they were on their way, they came across this lame man who was sitting at the temple gate, which is known as beautiful. This man had been placed there daily to receive alms. It was his job. It's what he did. We know from Scripture that the man was placed there for some 40 years because it says that in Acts 4.22. We're not told, however, how many times Peter and John passed by this man. We don't know. And we said last week, we don't even know if Jesus himself passed by this man, passed by this afflicted man. And I know you're thinking, how could Jesus pass by an afflicted man? How can Jesus leave someone, someone in that condition? And we said that God's timing is perfect. Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew that this man would serve a far better purpose in the coming days when he wasn't there, when the Holy Spirit had come upon the earth. But this day was going to be different. It wasn't like any day that Peter and John ever knew. This day would be different because Peter and John are different. As they're coming up, they notice the man, and they're nudged by the Holy Spirit to engage with him. Look at us, they say. And the man looks as if he's going to receive something. The scripture says he expected to receive something. The man looks intently upon them with an expectant heart. Did he feel something strange? Did he know something special was going to happen that day? I don't know. It doesn't say. But the words Peter uses are very significant in this miracle. It's very significant. He says in Acts 3 verse 6, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. How did Peter say this? Did his voice have inflection? Did it rise on a particular words? Did he emphasize any particular words? Did he say, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk? Or did he say, in the name of Jesus? Or maybe he put up his antenna, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. I don't know. It doesn't really say. Is it in the way the words are said that healed the man? Some think so. I don't think so. I believe what healed the man was faith. In fact, in verse 16, we're told it was faith in the name of Jesus that healed the man. I believe it is the power in the name of Jesus that healed the man. It was through the power of an almighty God, through his Holy Spirit, that this man became whole again. 
Unfortunately, there are those who would believe that it is the holiness or the righteousness of the person saying the words that makes a difference. There are those who believe that since they are so holy and since they are so righteous, they are the ones that are actually causing the healing to take place. I say, heaven forbid. As if their righteousness had anything to do with the healing. Have they not read the prophet Isaiah? Who said in Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all like unclean thing. Our righteousness are filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. I can count on my righteousness to do one thing. Lead me to hell and keep me from God. It's not my righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. It's not my will, but his will. I believe that Peter simply took this man, he took hold of him and calmly said those words with a confidence, with a boldness, trusting in an almighty God to do a marvelous work within not only his heart, but the man's heart. And not only do that kind of work, but do a work in the hearts of all those that would hear the testimony later. Peter doesn't hesitate. He speaks confidently in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. What's in a name? The Greek word here used for name is onoma. Not Obama. Onoma. It means authority or cause. A name implies identification. It is how we are identified. When I'm in a room and I hear Dave or David, I turn around and look as if someone's talking to me. First, first thing I do is look to see if there are any other Davids in the room. If there aren't, I assume that they're talking to me because that happens to be my name. Interesting story. A few years back, we went to the Mummers Parade over in South Philadelphia. We're over in South Philadelphia at the Bubbers Parade, and it's packed. Wall-to-wall people everywhere, and we're walking. Now, we are in South Philadelphia. Did I tell you that? We're in South Philadelphia. So we're walking down through South Philadelphia, and this lady comes out of the door, and she goes, Yo, Anthony! And about 45 guys turn around. (laughs) Well, I was laughing so hard, I almost fell over. Who is it named Anthony in South Philadelphia? Anyhow, what's in a name? What's in a name? A name identifies that. Look at the name of Jesus. Look at his name itself. It's special. It has a special meaning. His name is Yahshua in Hebrew. Actually, Joshua. And it means Jehovah is salvation. In the Greek, we translate it into Jesus. His name is no coincidence. It's not a coincidence he got this name. For in Matthew 1.21, the angel tells Joseph, and she, Mary, shall bring forth a son, and you, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Then Matthew clarifies the entire situation in another verse, I think it's verse 23, when he refers to Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 7.14. He says, Behold, the virgin shall be with a child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So Jesus has a very, very special name. His name describes his mission. His name describes that Jesus was God and he came to save. His name describes his nature and the reason he came. That name identifies for us our Savior. And when we say his name, something special happens. Something special happens when you say the name of Jesus. It happens. Demons flee at the sound of his name. Scripture tells us in Joel 2.32, Acts 2.21, and Romans 10.13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Something special happens in that name when we say that. But the name of Jesus implies more than identification. It carries authority. It carries reputation. And it carries power. Authority means the right to command. It means the right or power to enforce rules or give orders. 
Authority also means a holder of power or power given to someone. Authority in this instance means to act on behalf of someone else. The official permission to do something. We know that the epitome of authority is the military. No one listens to the private because he's the lowest of rank. He cannot give orders because there's no authority behind him. He's the lowest of low. He can't give an order to someone else. The only thing he can do is take an order and follow an order. It's interesting. I just recently finished watching for about the 18th time HBO series Band of Brothers. There's a lieutenant in there, and he has this captain. And the captain and he just don't see eye to eye. In fact, the captain's a little whack, and that's a different story. But they don't see eye to eye. Eventually, this lieutenant is raised to the rank of major during the war. He's raised to the rank of major. And he again meets this captain. And as he's sitting in a jeep, this major, and the captain sees him, they make eye contact, but the captain does something strange. He doesn't salute. And as he walks by, the lieutenant looked over and said, Captain, you salute the rank, not the man. You salute the authority, not the person holding the authority. In our case, we not only salute the authority, we worship the authority. We love the authority because the authority is in the name of Jesus Christ. He is the epitome of our authority. The name of the Lord has all authority behind it. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth, in Matthew 28, 18. He's been given all authority. Why? Because he is the son of God. And God has given him a name, it says in Philippians, above every other name. A name above all names. And at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. There's authority in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. He deserves our obedience. The greatest thing we can do and the greatest concern we should have as a Christian is how do we glorify the name of Jesus Christ? In other words, how do I get people not to see Dave, but how do I get people to see Jesus Christ? Because I have nothing to offer you. Silver and gold, I have nothing. But what I have, I gladly give to you. I have Jesus. And I would love to give him to you. I have nothing to offer in and of myself. But he has everything to offer. Going back to the military analogy, the armies of the United States cannot even go to war without the authority of the president of the United States. And he has to get that from Congress. Likewise, as Christians, we cannot go out on our own authority. We cannot move on our own being without Jesus' authority. Jesus gave Peter that authority. He gave all the disciples that authority. He gave you and me that authority again in Matthew 28 when he tells us to go into the world and make disciples. Go into the world and preach the gospel. We have the authority. So a name carries authority, but a name also carries reputation. Reputation is the views that one generally holds about something or someone or something that someone is known for. What are you known for? What are you known for? What is your reputation? You know, don't hang on the corner, sweetheart. You'll ruin your reputation. What's your reputation? Remember the old thing they used to say? If you were on trial and you went to court, you have enough things to convict you, have enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? You're actually standing before a court of law. Could you convince them that you are a Christian? Is there enough evidence? What's your reputation? Everybody in that area at that time knew of Jesus of Nazareth. They all knew the story and had formed opinions about him. Everyone had an opinion about Jesus Christ. Many of them were fed when he fed the 5,000. Many of them have seen miracles done time and time again. Many of them were shouting, Hosanna, 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 and laying palms and their clothing in front of him when he came into the city. And you know what? A week later, 
the same few, the same men were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The exact same ones. They all had opinions about Jesus. Jesus makes quite clear how our opinion should be and how important our opinion should be of him. He says, simply, you're either with me or against me. They're either for me or not for me. There's no decision there. Make it. I'm sure that those who were healed by Jesus, those that are healed by Jesus, had a great opinion of him. But the religious leaders, they didn't think too highly of him. They didn't think too highly. It's interesting that one of the qualifications of being the apostles used to find men who wait on tables while they study the Word of God, well, they need to be men of good reputation. So reputation was important. You can find that in Acts 6.3. We read, and we studied in Acts 2, I think it's Acts 2.47, that the new church found favor with all men. They had a good reputation, so reputation was important. Peter had your reputation of being with Jesus in Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. So you require a reputation by the people you hang out with. In this case, Peter hung out with Jesus. And his reputation was such. Peter carried the reputation of Jesus with him. He carried that reputation. He was known as someone who was with Jesus. Did they say that about you? What reputation do you carry when you leave this church? Do you carry the reputation of a Christian? Christian means little Christ. When people see you, do they see that Christian in you? Or do they see something different? A name carries authority and a name carries reputation, but a name also carries power. Power is the ability to perform or act effectively. Power is the strength or force behind something. The strength behind Jesus was the Holy Spirit. Jesus passed that power on to his disciples when he ascended into heaven. He told them to wait for the power that would come on high. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will make you witnesses of me. Because he, the Holy Spirit, will testify of me. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power, the dunamis power, to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. He is the one in the world today. He is the active Godhead in the world today, the Holy Spirit. Peter had the power of the Holy Spirit. We know this from Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. And the Holy Spirit fell upon the believers in the upper room. The Holy Spirit gave Peter the power to be a witness for Jesus. The Holy Spirit gave Peter the power to touch this lame man and cause him to walk. Peter gives the lame man the only thing he had of worth. The Scripture says, what I give to you. It was in the name of Jesus, his authority, his reputation, his power that healed this man. And it was Peter's hands that the Lord chose to use. It was Peter's hands that the Lord chose. Peter had been given the authority and the reputation that he'd been with Jesus and certainly the power. Because Peter reached down and he lifted this man to his feet. And when he lifted him up, his ankle bones, his heel bones, all his feet were immediately strengthened and instantly he could walk. We have also been given the power by Jesus to make disciples. As you follow Jesus, you have a reputation of being a Christian. Maybe even you're known as a Jesus freak. And we've spoken many, many times how we can have the power of the Holy Spirit by simply asking, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. The Lord is not slack on his promises. The healing of the lame man caused great wonder and amazement. You look at the last part of verse 10, it said they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. What does Peter do with this amazement? What does Peter do with this wonder? But I can tell you what he didn't do. He didn't immediately open the St. Peter's School of Evangelism and Spiritual Gifting. He didn't do that. 
You want this power? You got to come to my school. You come to my school for four or five years and you'll have this power. Peter didn't do that. No. Instead of reveling in the excitement and allowing himself to be exalted, Peter quickly points out to these men the source of what had happened here, the power source behind his actions. Peter took no credit, and I absolutely love Peter for this because you know what? This isn't the Peter I remember. The Peter I remember is always talking to John, hey, I'm the greatest, pal, and you can't be that. Peter's the one that said, thou art the Christ, son of the living God. And then after he said it, he was walking around like, yeah, I said that. I'm cool. Yeah, I did it. I said that. I said that. And immediately Jesus says, I have to go and be crucified. Oh, no, 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 Lord. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Whoa. No, this wasn't that Peter anymore. This wasn't that Peter. Peter knew where to give credit. Peter knew where the source came from. Peter knew where his power was from. Instead, he didn't revel in that excitement. He didn't lift himself up. He didn't elevate himself up. If there's a good message at any time during the time that I'm here at this church, it cannot come from me, and I can't be elevated for it. It's got to come from the Holy Spirit, or it's not the message that you need. Again, I will repeat, you don't need my guidance. You need the guidance of God through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ. You need His guidance and His guidance alone. He's the one that will exalt you. Humble yourself in front of the Lord, and He will lift you up. He will exalt you. In verse 11 it says, so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? Like we had the power, and I love this, or we had the godliness. Peter knew, (laughs) Peter knew he was a scumbag. Peter knew that he was scum. He had that, he knew that he was the lowest of low. Don't get too high of opinion of ourselves. Take heed, lest you fall. Take heed, lest you fall. I don't want anybody to raise me up because I want God to raise me up. I want God to look at me and say, well done, good, faithful servant. To God's glory for everything that we do here. Peter was so in touch with the Holy Spirit, so in tune with the Spirit's leading. Peter knows that it was nothing he did to heal this man. He gives credit correctly to God, but not just any God. He gives credit to a God that these Jews would recognize as the God of all miracles because throughout the ages, the prophets have performed miracles. And all the miracles that Jesus did were associated with God, not just a God, but God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the one true living God, Jehovah, Jehovah. And in verse 12, it says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Just like the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit had come upon the believers in the upper room, Peter seizes another opportunity to preach the gospel. Again, he's preaching the gospel to men who are amazed and in wonder about what had happened. Remember the first time they asked, what does this mean? Now they're they're amazed and in wonder that this lame man, after 40 some odd years of being lame, is walking, he's leaping, he's running, he's praising God in the temple. I love the fact that these new believers never miss a divine appointment. They never miss an opportunity to share the gospel. When Jesus left earth following his resurrection, his followers weren't sure what was next. 
They had instructions from their Lord and Savior, but not much else. However, they chose to trust that what Jesus said was true and was going to change their lives. It did. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to minister to the world in ways they'd never have been able to do on their own. Is Jesus asking you to follow His instructions today? Maybe He's only given you a piece of the journey, or maybe He's asking you to wait. Take a cue today from the members of the early church. Trust Jesus to come through with His promises and change your life. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope. We'd like to hear from you and learn how we can be praying for you. So please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to hear more messages from this series in the book of Acts, you'll find them at assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download. And we encourage you to share them with your friends and family. You can also receive a CD copy of today's message by calling us. Again, our number is 609-884-5821. That's all we have time for today. We're so glad we can share God's Word with you through this ministry. Pastor Dave will have more to share from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Acts. So we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.